Lord God, there's nothing that we love more than just being in your presence. So we come before you now. We come boldly before your throne, as the scriptures say, a throne of grace and a throne of truth, and a throne from which we can receive help in our time of need. We come to you right now not to ask you for anything, but Lord, we come before you because we want to worship you. We want to give you our love. We want to give you our, ad our adoration. And we want to worship you. So fill this place with your presence. We invite you to come in and do whatever you have for us, Lord, whatever you want to do in our midst. We invite you to do it. In Jesus' name, amen. I would like us to begin this morning by praying together. We are going to pray what is commonly referred to as the Lord's Prayer. Uh, if you're in a, a particular uh, tradition that I grew up in, you call it the Our Father. Uh, but it's, it's the Lord's Prayer because we're going to pray that because it's the way that Jesus taught his disciples to pray. Uh, one day they came to him and they said, Lord, teach us how to pray. Teach, teach us to pray. And, and what they were saying is teach us to pray like you pray, you know. And so he taught them and he taught them this prayer. Now, some say that this is a prayer to use as a model that this is these, you know, pray these types of things that you go through it. Others say it's an actual prayer that we can, um, that we are to pray together and, uh, uh, you know, is saying these words, and I think it's both. I think it's an actual prayer that's a great prayer to pray, you know, right off of the lips of Jesus, right out of his mouth, and it's also a model for prayer. So, but um, we're going to pray that this morning. Now, I know many of you have memorized it, uh, and there are slight variations in what we have memorized, depending on which translation of the Bible you use, or depending on what church tradition you grew up in, what your background is. In other words, do you use trespasses, debts, or sins, or whatever? Um, but for the sake of unity this morning, I want to ask you to pray it as it appears on the screen. We're going to put it on the screen, and I want you to pray it. And this is taken straight from Matthew chapter 6 in the NIV. This way we'll all be together. It's no doubt most likely a little different than many of you memorized it, but it's the same thing, really. So let's all stand, invite you to stand as we pray this together, and let's pray it out. Are you ready? Our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us today our daily bread and forgive us our debts, as we also have forgiven our debtors. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from the evil one. Amen. You can be seated. I think we should pray that, and also I'd like to start reciting some of the creeds together as a corporate body from time to time, because uh, there is a, a richness there, but... Well, welcome to week three of our series that, that uh, we are in called Red Letter Challenge. We are focusing in this series primarily on the words that Jesus spoke while he was here on this earth. Now, in many of our Bibles, the words of Jesus are printed in red, uh, so they're easily identifiable. 
And uh, I just do want to make one disclaimer or one note of clarification as we start. All of Scripture, red letters, black letters, whatever, all of Scripture is inspired of God, not just the words that Jesus spoke, okay? It's not like the ones that Jesus spoke are more inspired than the ones that Paul wrote or Peter wrote or anyone in the Old Testament. They're all inspired of God. But in this series, we are primarily looking at the words of Jesus. We're going back in time, and we're sitting at Jesus' feet just as his disciples did. We're listening to Jesus teach so we can also become his disciples, and we can better reflect who Jesus is to the world around us. And in so doing, we'll be able to change the world around us, just as the disciples uh, in the first century changed their world. So as we look at the red letters and hear the words of Jesus, we've got five targets that we're zeroing in on. There's five things, I'm doing ten, but there's five things that Jesus uh, uh, spoke about more than any other things, and that's what we're looking at. Last week, we heard Susie speak about uh, uh, being, she ta- the, you know, being with Jesus, just just being in his presence, so learning to be with him. And, and she challenged us to intentionally carve out some time this week to be with God. She gave us several ways we can practice abiding in him and being with him. And then she challenged each one of us to, to just intentionally this week carve out some time to be with him because that's where everything starts. Now, here's the thing. If you're like some of us, and you don't always remember things from one moment to the next, let alone from one day to the next, you might be sitting here thinking, I forgot it. I totally spaced it this week. Well, guess what? It's not too late. It's never too late to practice just being with Jesus. So I encourage you, pick that up, carve out some time to be with him, because that's where everything starts. Everything flows out of our being with Jesus. The second target that we're going to talk about today is forgiving. If we're going to be like Jesus and live like Jesus, then learning how to forgive and putting that into practice is an absolute must. There's simply no getting around it. Unless we learn to forgive people who have hurt or offended us in some way, then we can't expect God to forgive us. And in the prayer that we just prayed, the Lord's Prayer, in verse 12, in fact, uh, uh, we, we prayed this, and forgive us our debts as we also have forgiven our debtors. Now, typically when we think of the word debt, uh, we think of something which is owed, like a, a financial obligation. But in the original language, it also means some type of an offense, uh, uh, a trespass. That's where we get the word in some translations and some traditions, forgive us our trespasses as we forgive those who have trespassed against us. It's an offense or a trespass which requires reparation. So when we pray this, we are praying, Father, forgive my offenses in the same way as I've forgiven those who have offended me. In other words, Father, forgive me and don't hold up against me the things that I've done 
just like I'm not holding against those who offended me and, and, and have, have done things to me, I'm not holding that against them. Um, uh, and that can be difficult to do, as every one of us knows. And sometimes it, makes, it requires just making a decision over and over and over. Every time that comes up again, making the, the, the decision, I'm going to release them from that. Every time we pray the Lord's Prayer, we should give thought to what we're saying because if we're harboring unforgiveness towards someone, then we're literally praying to God and telling Him, you don't need to forgive me because I'm not, for, I'm not, I'm not forgiving them. Um, so, you know, I just say that. It's kind of a heavy thing, but that's how big of an issue forgiveness is with God. Jesus says that our forgiveness... Forgiveness of our sins depends on our forgiveness of others. And I know that's hard to hear, and we often want to look for loopholes or exceptions. Yes, I could forgive everything except for this one thing that somebody did. But there are no loopholes. There are no exceptions. And Jesus emphasizes the fact in that the very next two verses after he taught his disciples how to pray, just in case there was any mistaking of what he had just said, just in case it had slipped by somebody's, uh, uh, slipped by somebody's uh, uh, notice, uh, he said this in the next two verses. For if you forgive other people when they sin against you, your heavenly Father will also forgive you. But if you do not forgive others their sins, your Father will not forgive your sins. Again, it tells us how important this issue of forgiveness is to Jesus. It matters a great deal to him that his followers be a forgiving people. And it's not only something that Jesus taught, it's how he lived. He modeled it to us. Remember his words on the cross, Father, forgive them for they don't know what they're doing. Um, he lived it. And this morning, we're going to walk through a well-known story of forgiveness found in the eighth chapter of John's gospel. We're going to walk through it together. Starts in verse 2. At dawn, he appeared again in the temple courts, where all the people gathered around him. And he sat down to teach them. The teachers of the law and the Pharisees brought in a woman caught in adultery. They made her stand before the group and said to Jesus, Teacher, this woman was caught in the act of adultery. In the law, Moses commanded us to stone such women. Now, I want to pause right there a minute. Notice the labeling. Did you notice the labeling? Did you catch that? In the law, Moses commanded us to stone such women. And, you know, we don't know anything else about this woman. This could have been a one-time Sin of passion, where she's you know just just loses control of herself and 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 you know makes a, a terrible mistake for which later she would be you know repentant of. We don't know that, or whether she had an ongoing thing with this guy. Uh, this is something she regularly did. We don't know what the backstory is or what her history is. All we know now is that now she is one of those women, such women. Um, she's labeled. Then they said to Jesus, now what do you say? Moses said, stoner, what do you say? They were at, using this question as a trap in order to have a basis for accusing him. Now, let's hold up right there. Let me ask, where is the man? 
I always wonder that whenever I read this story, whenever I read this account. Where is the man? I mean, if she was caught in the act, there had to be a guy, right? Takes two to tango, right? <clears throat> now, maybe they let him off the hook because of a double standard. Or maybe it was all a setup, and he was a part of the plan to trap this woman, to bring, him, to bring her to Jesus, to try to trap him. We don't know. We don't know what happened to the man. Maybe he was even in the crowd holding a stone. We don't know. But the fact that he wasn't brought before Jesus with the woman tells us something. It tells us that they weren't really interested in upholding the righteous standard of the law, right? They weren't really, otherwise, you know, they would have brought both of them. According to Leviticus 20, both the man and the woman should be put to death. All right, that, that was the law, but they just brought the woman, so that should tell us something. And then, let's continue. But Jesus bent down and started to write on the ground with his finger. We don't know what he was writing. There have been a lot of speculations by different people. Uh, maybe the names of those in the crowd, maybe he wrote down their names and a list of sins next to them, but we don't know. The Bible doesn't tell us. And then verse 7, when they kept questioning him, in other words, they kept hammering him, they kept pushing him, they kept saying, come on, what do you say? What do you say? Moses says this, what do you say? They kept questioning him. He straightened up and said to them, let, any one of you, let every one of you who is without sin be the first to throw a stone at her. Now, <clears throat> I want you to notice what Jesus didn't do. Jesus didn't try to defend the woman. He didn't try to excuse her. He doesn't try to argue her innocence. The truth is, she was guilty as charged. Guilty as charged. He knew it. She knew it. The Pharisees knew it. Everyone in the crowd knew it. There was no pleading not guilty in this situation. Jesus didn't say, well, we're just going to let her off the hook this time. No. What he said was, let any one of you who is without sin be the first to throw a stone at her. Verse 8 then, again, he stooped down and wrote on the ground. At this, those who heard began to go away one at a time, the older ones first, until only Jesus was left with the woman still standing there. See, they were all quick to point fingers at her. They were all so quick to condemn, condemn her. We've been living in a culture like that, right? Where somebody does something that's not right, somebody makes a mistake, or, 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 or you, know, we're, you know, our culture is quick to just start pointing accusing fingers. Uh, and, and, you know, they thought that with this that they had Jesus trapped in a corner. I mean, either, you know, they, he had to either condemn her to death or to defy the law, Right? condemn her to death or to say the law doesn't matter you don't have to pay attention to it but suddenly Jesus turned the tables on him you see you can't corner Jesus Jesus surprised them by holding a mirror up to their faces and when he did they all started to slip away 
starting with the oldest ones first. Now, I think that's interesting that he says, starting with the oldest ones first. Why were the oldest ones the first to slip away? We're not really told, but I think a safe assumption to make, or at least a probable possibility, is that the oldest were so aware, they were well aware that they had a long list of sins themselves. They had lived a long time and had done a lot of wrong, and they knew it. I mean, every one of us knows that we've done wrong, right? We're, we're, we're aware, but we don't need somebody to tell us that. So conviction of their own sin set in, and their hands dropped down. They dropped the rocks. They turned and walked away. And as the older ones did, then the younger ones started to question themselves. And they too dropped their hands, dropped the, the rocks. They lost their courage and slipped away. Then, verse 10, Jesus straightened up and asked her, Woman, where are they? Has no one condemned you? No one, sir. I can just see her hanging her head in shame through the whole thing. And Jesus is looking at her. Has no one condemned you? And her head is hanging there. No one, sir. Then neither do I condemn you. Go now. Leave your life of sin. The only one who could condemn her did not condemn her. He chose to release her. He chose to forgive her, to release her and not hold her sin, her offense against her. Here's a few things we can learn from this story. Number one, every one of us is guilty of sin. As I said a moment ago, we don't need anybody to tell us that. We know that in our hearts. We know we've done wrong. Whether we put ourselves in the place of the woman or the religious Pharisees or the crowd, we're all guilty of sin and we know it. It's time we stop looking at what someone else has done and that we drop the stones and start look at looking at ourselves as we stand before God and realize that We've all done wrong, and none of us can point an accusing finger at anybody else. Here's the second thing. Jesus isn't interested in what others say about you. Do you know that? We live in a culture full of accusing, you know, pointing fingers, accusations. Jesus, he doesn't care what others say about you. And here's the flip side of that. Neither should you. Neither should you. The crowd was all pointing accusing fingers of the woman, but Jesus wasn't paying any attention to the crowd. He's not interested in, in, in their accusations and their, their pointing fingers and their wagging tongues. He's not interested in that. And if he's not interested, then neither should you or I be. There's only one person whose opinion of you matters, and that is Jesus. 
It's his opinion of you that matters. It's his opinion of me that matters. And he's the only one. And Jesus himself tells us in more red letters what he thinks of you and of me. Most of us are familiar with John chapter 3, verse 16, probably the most famous and well-known verse in all of Scripture. For God so loved the world that he gave his one and only Son that whoever believes in him should not perish but have eternal life. That's good news, right? That's great news. But here's even better news. He didn't stop there. He continued to speak. And this is what he says in the very next verse. For God did not send his son into the world to condemn the world, but to save the world through him. Let me take the liberty to paraphrase this verse just the tiniest bit. For God so loved you that he gave his one and only son, that if you believe in him, in other words, if you believe in his death and his resurrection and you believe in the sense of you are trusting in him and you're putting your faith in him, if you believe in him, you will not perish but have eternal life. For God did not send his son into the world to condemn you, but to save you through him. And that's the third thing that we learn from this story. Jesus isn't here to condemn you. That's not why he came. So many people, that's the view of God, There's, that he's just waiting for us to slip up so they can, you know, let the hammer down and, 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 and you know, get us, and he's just waiting, and, and the, that that's what he came for, to get us to, you know, toe the line and, and straighten up, or he's going to... That's such a, a wrong view of who God is. God wants more than anything for us to walk in his forgiveness. Jesus wants more than anything he doesn't, to, to, to forgive. He doesn't want to condemn us. He wants to forgive us. When you put your faith in him, he forgives you and he transforms your life. Came across a quote. I actually came across it several times, but once again this morning in my uh, 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 quiet time from Henry Nouwen. Henry Nouwen was a Catholic priest that worked with um, um, people uh, that were uh, physically challenged and mentally challenged, um, and uh, uh, he went on to be home. Went home to be with the Lord just oh recently, last couple of years, I believe. This is something he wrote. If you ever, and by the way, if you ever get a chance to read any of Henry Nouwen's books, they're excellent. I'd recommend them. This is what he said. God wants to forgive, heal, restore, show us endless mercy, and see us come home. But just as the father of the prodigal son let his son make his own decision, God gives us the freedom to refuse divine love even at the risk of destroying ourselves. Wow. That's powerful. He wants so much to, to pour his love and his grace and his mercy into our lives and, and, and forgive us, but he's not going to make us. He doesn't grab us and open our mouth and shove it down our throat. We have the freedom 
to reject. We have the freedom to say no to his love. But that means we also have the freedom to say yes. And yes to his forgiveness. And when we put our faith in him, our lives change. In fact, that's proof of our faith in him as a changed life. Jesus extended forgiveness to the woman instead of condemnation. And then he told her, live a different life. Don't live this life anymore. He said, leave your life of sin behind. A change in the way we're living is evidence of the acceptance of forgiveness. And as we said before, forgiveness, both ours, both the forgiveness of, of, of our, you know, our forgiving people that have hurt us, our receiving forgiveness from God, and even forgiving ourselves sometimes, because that can be hard to do. That's huge in God's eyes. It's so important to him. Here's your challenge for this week. Get quiet with the Lord. Ask him to show you if there's any unforgiveness in your heart, either toward yourself or someone else. And then ask him to help you forgive that person and let it go. Now, it doesn't mean that what they did didn't hurt. Doesn't mean that what they did was justified. Doesn't mean that what they did didn't matter. It just means that, God, I'm not going to hold this, whatever it was, I'm not going to hold this offense against this person any longer. They're in your hands. And I'm not going to harbor them any ill will. That can be hard to do, admittedly. And sometimes there are situations in our lives where that's a decision that we just make by faith. It's a choice that we make. It's not a feeling that we feel. All of a sudden, we don't feel wonderful toward that person, but we, we, we choose to let that person go. And sometimes it takes making that choice over and over and over and over and over until we really start to begin to feel free from it. And when we do that, you know, we can see that person. The enemy tries to remind us what the offense was, and we're able to just let it drop to the ground, say it doesn't matter to me anymore. And he can heal the pain. He can heal the hurt. He can heal the betrayal. He can heal whatever it was. But it starts with deciding, I am going to be like Jesus, and I am going to forgive. So that's the challenge. If there's any unforgiveness, either um, uh, it could be you're, you're not forgiving yourself for something. You know, Jesus isn't interested in you telling him, you know, how bad you were. Once you confess something to him and ask him forgiveness, and he forgives you, then you need to forgive yourself too or forgive unforgiveness towards someone else, and then ask him to help you forgive that person. Let it go. We're going to take communion together now. Through communion, we remember what Jesus did for us so that we can be forgiven.
as we prepare and as we get ready. Take a moment and ask yourself, right now even, if there's somebody you know, somebody that kept coming to mind to you, somebody kept coming to your mind while we were talking, and maybe you kept pushing it out of your mind, don't push them out of your mind anymore. Instead, look at that person, not, not physically if they're here in this room, but I mean in your spirit, look at that person and just in your heart say, I forgive you and let him go and let Jesus help you with that. You see, it's important that we examine ourselves and see if there's anything that we need forgiveness for, anybody we need to release in forgiveness. It's important when we take communion. The Bible tells us that, you know, when we don't do that, that, that you know, we, re, we receive communion wrongly, we can bring sickness on ourselves. And we don't want that. We want to know His freedom. We want to know His forgiveness. So um, we're going to go ahead and uh, I want to read what the Apostle Paul wrote. As Paul talks about the Lord's Supper in 1 Corinthians 12. He says, The Lord Jesus, in the night he was betrayed, took bread. And when he had given thanks, he broke it. He said, This is my body, which is for you. Do this in remembrance of me. Let's take the bread together. In the same way, after supper, he took the cup, saying, This cup is the new covenant in my blood. Do this whenever you drink it in remembrance of me. As we drink this cup together, let's think of the blood that he poured out on the cross so that we could stand in his sight, pure and holy, completely cleansed and forgiven. Lord, your forgiveness is such a wonderful thing. We thank you, Lord, that you didn't come to earth to condemn us. You came because you love us. You came to release us from our sin, to release us from our guilt, to release us from our shame. But that meant that you had to go to the cross and lay down your life in our place. Words aren't enough, but Lord, words are what we have. So we say thank you for that. Thank you for your love. And thank you for your forgiveness. It's in Jesus' name that we pray. Amen. Amen. We're going to go ahead and dismiss in just a moment. If you brought your tithes and offerings with you, then there are three boxes by the exit. We'll all be going out this door, uh, and there's a box there that you can just drop it in on your way out. Or if you uh, prefer to give your tithes and offerings through electronically, 
just go to our website, bloomingtonvineyard.com, click on the Give button, and it'll walk you through the, the process. Very, very easy. Let's stand as we receive the benediction. May the peace of the Lord Christ go with you wherever he may send you. May he guide you through the wilderness and protect you through the storm. May he bring you home rejoicing at the wonders he has shown you. May he bring you home rejoicing once again into our doors. God bless you. Go and have a great week and represent him well.